podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending of course on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, we are back again with another round of predictions for the upcoming Formula One season. This time, of course, 2022 with the brand new cars and the brand new regulations. Will we see some changes in the pecking order? Time will tell. But going through these predictions episode once again are my co-hosts joining us once again, Lee Wallington and Mr. Courtney Pine. Fellas, thanks once again for coming on the show as always. How are you both doing? Courtney, uh, let's start with you. How is your back, without going into too many details, feeling better? My back is feeling a whole lot better and I'm feeling energised for pre-season because it's absolutely flown by. And obviously, on a day of recording, we've got our first car reveal. So, uh, yeah, it's just getting that, that pre-season feeling again. So, yeah, feelings are good. You're absolutely right. Of course, at the time of recording this episode, we have seen the new Red Bull, the RB18. And of course, we've seen the new Haas as well, the VF22. However, we're going to discuss those in a bit more depth in next week's episodes, where we'll be previewing uh, the season a little bit more. But we'll be focusing on six of the teams that would have done their launches. That would have been Haas, Red Bull, of course. And then we'll have Aston Martin, McLaren, Ferrari and Mercedes, unless I am mistaken, that should leave us with uh, the other four teams later on. That said, we're going to get into this episode. And uh, it's that kind of perilous time of the season, I suppose, where everybody's trying to figure out or trying to come up with who they think is going to be world champion, who they think is going to have a good season, and perhaps what surprises might be in store for the 2022 season. I'm Very sure that there's going to be quite a lot of twists and turns next season. I certainly hope there will be, uh, minus the controversy, of course. But before we get into any of that, guys, I I want to talk about some breaking news regarding one Lando Norris. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Lando Norris has uh, has announced, of course, with McLaren that he has signed a new long-term deal with the team. And this deal will take him up to the end of the 2025 season. So that's a four-year deal. Rumours have been going around the paddock and some uh, reporting sites have been saying that it's going to be earning upwards of £50 for the duration of that contract. So uh, all right for some, I suppose. Not bad indeed. (laughs) Um, But this is quite an interesting piece of news because I know last season uh, around the Monaco Grand Prix, Lando Norris, uh, a lot of people were talking about him signing a new deal with the team. They believed it was going to take him up to at least the duration of Daniel Ricciardo's contract with the team up to the end of the 2023 season um, and possibly beyond that. But it seems that they've gone a bit further and they've uh, given Lando a huge vote of confidence for the long term. Now, what's interesting about this, guys, is whilst it seems like a good idea for both parties to tie themselves down to a long-term commitment... 
How do we feel about this? Because I imagine there's probably some contrasting views, not necessarily on Lando staying with McLaren, but for the duration of the contract and what that means. Um, Corny, what do you think about this news? Do you think this is really good news for both parties or do you perhaps feel the duration of the contract is a little bit longer than perhaps we previously would have anticipated? Uh, When I first saw the news, I thought two things. I thought, first of all, I think McLaren are aware of Obviously, they know more than anyone of um, Lando's potential. So they know that in the coming years, the you know, the likes of Mercedes or maybe Red Bull, if there's changes. Because we went through last week about the, the chopping and changing. You know, for example, if Lewis retires, that's going to set a domino effect from all the big teams. So the big teams would be looking at Lando. Lando would be an option. So McLaren have thought, you know what, we need to... Secure this guy, show them, show him that you know we have a long-term plans for him. So let him know that he's at home, build a team around him. Which leads on to my other thought: that the, the duration of that contract suggests to me that at this stage, at least, McLaren view Lando Norris as the number one driver, and I think this season, this is the season where Danny Ricciardo really needs to get back to the kind of form that we've seen in the past from him because. Right now, it just seems that the statement that's been made with the length of this contract suggests to me that Lando Norris is seen as a number one driver at McLaren. Yeah, very much so. I think the trend over the last three or four years has been for the the bigger sides, if you like, to tie down their de facto number one drivers, if you like, down to these long-term deals to preserve their commitment to the team and make sure that no other teams are sniffing around. I mean, it wasn't too long ago before Lando Norris got into Formula One that Toro Rosso were looking to try and bring him into the team on a temporary basis, um, on loan, if you like. But McLaren, of course, they didn't want that to happen. They wanted Lando to very much stay within the McLaren program. They didn't want Red Bull, for example, getting any sort of indication or any opportunity to try and lure him into the team. And well, all things considered, with respect to Sergio Perez, for example, and Gasly and Albon, Lando Norris would seem like an ideal fit to uh, go alongside Max Verstappen. I mean, what a team that would be, if you could imagine that one. But um, it, it's quite interesting. Um, it, it's definitely great news for both sides in certain respects. Um, Lee, I'm going to come to you for this next part of it. Um, first of all, of course, how are you doing? Hope you're okay. And... Um, which side do you think that this deal suits more? Do you think this is better for Lando to get that long-term future down with McLaren, or do you think this is a better deal for McLaren? Well, firstly, I'm good. Thank you for asking. Um, and regarding the the deal, um, I, I do want to add on to Corny's point before answering that is it also shows the amount of faith Lando has in McLaren and the McLaren plan. I mean. The top teams like to sniff around potential interests. They're being in contact in, with the agents and things like that just to see the situation, you know, that touch base and we're interested in you sort of thing. So the fact that Lando has that faith in the McLaren will deliver because at end of the day, like any driver, Lando wants to win a real championship. And four years is a long time before we even know how the performance of these cars are. So that shows you how much faith Lando has in McLaren as a team and the design concept and how they operate, which says a lot in itself. Um, then going to, to answer your question, I think it's, 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 I don't think there's any single winner on this. Obviously, uh, as Courtney mentioned about the being a number one, I think it's that it, McLaren have put their um, flag on Lando and that's it. There's number one. Obviously, they want Daniel to do great and bring the challenge to Lando. but 
Lando's the still a very young driver. Um, I can't, he's kind of his exact age. 21, isn't it? Uh, 10 years younger than Daniel or something like that. Yeah, so, so th- this new contract will take him up to he, he when he's 26. So that will be when he expires. I mean, it's crazy to think how young Lando yeah. Norris still is. So 10, 10 years difference between Daniel and Lando, that's... I mean, I don't want to see the end of Daniel because I obviously thoroughly enjoy his driving, but I'd be very surprised if Daniel was around in 10 years um, where Lando can still be... You think about age of drivers, drivers seem to mature at their peak of prowess in their late 20s, early 30s. So Daniel's going to be gone and Lando's going to just be maturing. So um, that's on that aspect. And you think Lando, as I said, faith in the team and that he can win this championship in that car, uh, presuming it goes as well as they hopefully plan it to. Yeah, it's certainly quite intriguing to think about. I mean, also, when I was doing digging on some of these reports that were coming up about the details of Lando's contract, as as far as we can gather, um, there doesn't seem to be any indication that there are any sort of release clauses in this contract, i.e. Uh, the sort of clauses that you've been hearing about with Max Verstappen's potential contacts with Red Bull, uh, and also the ones that allowed Sebastian Vettel to leave Red Bull in 2015 to go to Ferrari. There doesn't seem to be any indication of a release of a release clause in Lando's new contract with McLaren and because of that and because of the longevity of this contract I I really feel that this is a big big win for McLaren more than anyone else you know it's great for Lando um to you know come from an environment where in in history we'll remember quite recently over the last four or five years that other drivers that have been in their seat that seat the likes of Kevin Magnussen or Stoffel van Dorn drivers that have really struggled to stay in that team long term and Lando has succeeded beyond that sort of um proverbial uh, proverbial two-year uh, gauntlet if you like and he's been able to come out of the other side and not only as a McLaren driver but as their number one asset in some regards um I just feel that a contract of that length with no release clauses at all could be quite risky for Lando Norris because, as you said, Lee, he's coming up to that point now where by the end of his contract, he will start getting to the point where he will be getting to his prime for the next five or six years in racing before it starts to go down on a bit of a steady decline, unless you're a freak like Lewis Hamilton who seems to prime like a fine wine. He just gets better with age. Um, Someone's going to clip the freak part and ruin me. I know it. But anyway, look, forget that. Um, With Lando Lando Norris, I, I just feel that whilst his it's good to get that long-term commitment down to a team that has been very heavily invested in him for a long time now. I just feel that we're at this point with the new 2022 regulations that there is a chance that McLaren could get this horribly wrong. And someone like perhaps Mercedes or Red Bull that might be looking at Lando for the long term or maybe in the medium term, the way their current driver situations are. And that number one asset in Norris is potentially gone from their reach because of this long-term deal and, and that's kind of my thinking um, what are your guys thoughts on this do you feel that perhaps Lando should have looked for something a little bit shorter perhaps two years with a view to seeing how the you know the driver market changes and the pecking order changes before making that commitment or do you feel it's better to just get that long-term commitment now you yeah, know I, I get what you mean if you're just thinking of a uh you know, wanting to be world champion, wanting to be in the best car. But I just it just seems with Lando right now, he seems to be in a really good place. Um, be it both on track and off track. He obviously, you know, he's been with McLaren for many years. That for him, that's his home. 
Um, and, you know, if you have a look at Lewis Hammond, for example, he's, he stayed in McLaren for quite a few years until he got to that stage in his career where he thought, you know what, I need to move on, start, start a new chapter. You know, I think the age does come into it. You know, like it is easy to forget how, long, how young Lando actually is. So he's got time on his side. Will he look back in regret? Possibly. But I think right now he's thinking, you know what, McLaren have been good to me. They've been, they've become a, a solid sort of challenging for the top three. You're also hoping they can challenge for championships. But look, he's, he's, he's a young lad. He's having the time of his life right now. So he probably thought this was the best time for McLaren to actually get that signature signed. If McLaren went, so if, if McLaren were to have a bad season and things started to go a bit rocky, they might struggle to get this kind of contract length. But where everything's so rosy in that relationship, they timed it perfectly. Yeah, absolutely so. I mean, you raise a good point there, Courtney. You mentioned Lewis Hamilton only switched to Mercedes in 2013. And I remember at the time, a lot of people thought it was the wrong decision. Including me. You know, yeah, I think a lot of us did. I don't think many of us yeah. foresaw what was going on at Mercedes. Of course, Lewis had the inside track and Ross Braun was able to sell him that with Toto Wolff, of course. So, uh, and obviously history will show, rightly so, that that was one of the greatest, probably if not the greatest decision uh, of all time in Formula 1 in terms of switching teams. And, and and Lee, I think it's worth mentioning that because what is important in this commitment with Lando Norris and McLaren, this new contract, is that it suggests that Lando has put his faith in McLaren, perhaps more so than McLaren having him, to get these new regulations right. Um, and it could be a critical factor because whereas on the one side we have the Lewis Hamilton factor where he made the right choice at the right time, got into that Mercedes team before it exploded into life and obviously what we saw was incredible. But then on the other side, you can end up in a situation like Fernando Alonso where he ends up leaving a team that ends up on the rise. Like, you know, he did at McLaren to a degree. Obviously, they went and won a world championship the next year, uh, leaving Ferrari, even though Ferrari didn't have the best car. He left them, but they were on on an upwards trajectory. Um, and it didn't work out for Flonso where he went back to McLaren. Where are you on this one with, with Norris? Do you feel this contract length um, is a bit of a risk with all that in mind? Or do you feel that perhaps it's better just to get that long-term contract down, stay with McLaren, and given the way that they're going, it could be likely that he may have made the right call? I think from an outside perspective, I think from a drive for Lando's side is very much if he waited a month, see how the first test went, you can then measure up how the cars go and make a bit more of an informed decision. But I think Courtney touched it perfectly that it's such perfect timing. Obviously, in Lando's personal life, he lives in Monaco now. He's got his own place. He's got his girlfriend. Things are comfortable with the team. He's the number one driver. He's getting a... Um, get waved a nice lot of money in front of him for a new contract he likes driving there last year's car was good um and it's just all these boxes in mclaren as corny said it's mclaren like yep that's it we don't want to risk it um, and obviously blando has uh, uh obviously agreed because he put the pen to paper but um he he saw the benefits and as i said he earlier it's the he has the faith and the team can deliver as well um but i think one thing we're we are overlooking is what has Zach Bourne promised Lando for his first win? I mean, we obviously know what he promised Daniel. So what has Zach Bourne promised Lando? Yeah, that's right. Um, was it Dale Earnhardt's uh, stock car that he got to drive yeah. around? It? Yeah, it, um, Circuit of America. That was pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that's something yeah. to do with golf, won't it? 
it might be, might be. Yeah. I mean, you never know. I think maybe uh, Zach Brown might rent out um, Dude Perfect and get them to do their all sports golf channel event and uh, if anyone doesn't know what i'm talking about i definitely recommend it. it's really really good watching on uh, dude perfect's channel just as a uh, sh- slight shout out not that them guys would need it um but yeah you know you know corny it could be a number of things um it, it could be i mean it's probably not milk anymore because i know lando was quite famous for drinking a lot of milk but now apparently he's sworn off it for whatever reason um so yeah we'll have to wait and see um what prize lander will get if he wins a grand prix we might find out this season um but on that subject let's get into our 2022 predictions episode now of course a short disclaimer before we start these are just our own opinions guys so if you don't like them or don't agree with them that's absolutely fine you can let us know what you think in the comments in terms of your opinions but they're just opinions. They can't hurt anyone, and uh, quite frankly, we'll just have to wait and see. They're probably going to be rubbish anyway, so never mind on that one. Speak but for yourself, mate. Yeah, well, well, we'll find out. We'll find out in the next half an hour how you feel about that one, Courtney. So, uh, we'll we'll see. Anyway, look, let's move on to the first prediction category, and this one's a relatively straightforward one, but uh, quite a significant one under the circumstances. But I'm going to ask you guys for your most improved driver. And guys, if okay. you are listening to this or on your favourite podcasting platform or watching this on YouTube, first of all, don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already. But feel free to play along at home as well in the comment section. Let us know what you think regarding our categories, who you think is going to come up. So guys, most improved driver. Courtney, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Yeah. Charles Leclerc. Ah, that's an interesting choice um Mm -hmm. but no fair enough and uh explain please um he didn't have the worst season last season but he wouldn't have been too happy finishing behind his teammate who obviously only just joined the team last season um and obviously the car yeah they made improvements but look the clothes in the sport to challenge for a championship and there's been a lot of talk coming from ferrari they're feeling confident that these new regulation changes could suit them so i think you know, that drive that the club will get from the disappointment of last season. And in theory, having a package that should suit him a lot better. Those two combinations, I think we should be, the club be one of the drivers of the cap for this season. Well, I like the way you think. That's, that suggests to me that you think Leclerc is going to have a title challenge this season. I like that. I very much hope that comes true. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Lee, how about you? Who do you think will be the most improved driver for 2022? I would like to say Nikita Mazepin, but that's not that's a lie. Um, well, I mean, he's, he's probably got he's probably got the lowest bar to jump over in that regard, I suppose. Um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, I reckon it'd be Daniel Ricciardo. Ah, okay. And uh, and why do you think that is? Well, there's two reasons for that. Firstly, Daniel has been home in Australia for the last few months since the end of the season. He admitted himself he needed some family time and recharge time because he hadn't been home for two years. I mean, for the most people, spending two years away from your family, that's pretty painful. And so to be a professional athlete and not have that um, closeness to your family, um, that would have an impact on your mental state to a degree. Obviously, Daniel was the only one that knows that, but he admitted he was missing them. So having that rest period, having a car that he's had some input in, because he would have had some input into this new car that hopefully suits his braking style. Hopefully we can see the Daniel, the king of the last breakers again. Um, and I would say most improved because 
don't know that he drove badly, but it wasn't Daniel Daniel Ricardo's performances, if you can call that a, a thing. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That's actually a really, really good point. Um, I, I think sometimes we often overlook as fans and even people involved in the sport, we overlook the importance of a healthy mental balance for a lot of these teams and drivers and also the personnel that work behind the scenes that we don't often praise enough. How significant having a, you know, um, we'll say healthy mental state is probably not the right way of putting it, but mental health is so important in this regard. And Daniel, obviously, as you said, Lee, not being able to go home for some time, it has probably taken its toll on him. You know, he's been in a new environment, a new team. It's not always easy to adjust, especially in an era where, Daniel has been moving around quite a lot. I think he's been with three different teams in the last four or five years. So it's a lot to adjust to. And after the season he had last season, I think any possibility that his performances will improve if his mental state is a lot better in his own mind is probably a very uh, you know probable one. So we'll just have to wait and see on that one. I think we should mention on the subject of Lewis Hamilton. Um, I know we mentioned Lewis already, but um, yeah, I'm guessing you guys would have seen that Lewis has returned to social media from the doldrums of uh, anonymity. Um, He's back on the grid quite more, quite figuratively and literally. And uh, with uh, a few words, really, I've been gone and now I'm back. So uh, I'm guessing we're all excited by that and encouraged by that. He seemed in good spirits at his photo of the Grand Canyon. Um, Yeah. What a way to break the internet. It doesn't, it just shows the power of the man, I guess. Um, Okay. So our next category that I want to... Oh, sorry, I haven't even done mine. You haven't done yours. I haven't even done mine. (laughs) Oh, all this build-up. I haven't even done mine. Right, okay. So, for me, most improved driver in 2022, there's definitely a logic to this one. Whether it counts or not is, you know, I I don't care. It's our show. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, George Russell, most improved driver. Purely and simply because he probably will be having a much more competitive car. So that the podium... (laughs) In Belgium, whether you count that race or not, he's probably not going to be the only one um, that he will enjoy, at least for the short term. So I'm expecting a lot from George Russell this season. How much? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I think he's going to be a lot, lot higher in the standings than he has been in his Formula 1 career so far. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Fiercest teammate rivalry. Now, I'm going to let Lee go first on this one. Um, What do you think? I, I'm going to go with the 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 one Courtney probably will like the least of Mercedes. Ooh, interesting! Okay. I didn't think you were going to go there. I had another team in mind. I thought you might go, but yes, please explain, Lee. I'm very intrigued. I um I did think hard about it, but I think it's very much the gentle Mercedes of not the Lewis and Nico situation. Um, but George will come in. He will find his feet for a few races. Obviously, we still have a question mark about his race pace. But as he gets into the team, he will start pushing Lewis. And if there's Lewis is involved in a championship, George may be involved in a championship, nevertheless. But it will start to get um, dirty. because Not dirty, but George will be not wanting Lewis to walk over him because he's a new driver. He wants to prove his merit. He wants to prove he's up there with Max and Charles is the standard bearers of the new generation. Um. So I reckon it will get very feisty if it um, gets down to a championship fight. Yeah, I, I had Mercedes down as well. Um, I had to change mine a few times, but I I know there's going to be some rivalries in other places for different reasons. But I just think this 
as we've already seen, has the making of a potentially another Rosberg-Hamilton, perhaps not as fictitious as their one was, but perhaps a bit more like a Hamilton-Alonso at McLaren back in 2007. Yeah. You know, mm. George Russell has already demonstrated that he's wanting to play the team game. If we cast our minds back to Hungary last season, he quite famously said, look, if you need to wreck my race for Nicholas, who at the, at the time was fighting for a podium in the Williams... Um, you know, he wanted to, you know, put his race at risk to help Nicholas get the big points for the team. And ultimately, he didn't have to because he scored points in that race as well. And then Belgium, he got big points after that. Um, that, for me, was definitely enough, perhaps, if Mercedes had any doubts with George's intentions at the team to convince them that he was the right guy to partner Lewis next uh, this season. But now that he's there... The question changes from will George be a good team player for Lewis, in George's mind at least, not necessarily Mercedes, to is George Russell going to be the future of this team? And the only way that I can think he can demonstrate that to them is to be up there with Lewis Hamilton. And sometimes he may have to get his hands dirty or get his shoulders out to his own teammate to a degree to prove that point. You know, Mercedes don't necessarily, I mean, don't get me wrong, they would love someone that is 99% the driver Lewis Hamilton is in their team. Whether one of those exists on the grid is another question that they can get. But what they would want from George Russell is to be ready now. Because yeah. Lewis will either go at the end of this season or next season, or he may stay a bit longer. But they need George Russell to demonstrate that he's ready to take over that mantle if and when Lewis Hamilton decides to call it a day. So there's going to be a lot of battles between those two. And it could affect both of their chances at the championship if they're squabbling with each other, or it could help. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Courtney, where is your mind going in terms of the fiercest team rivalry? I have a suspicion where it might go, but yeah, put me I've up my misery. On it. I've touched on it before, but I reckon it's going to be Leclerc and Sainz. I, I, just, I just think it's been a while since Ferrari have been in a real... been up there, potentially, I will hoping to be winning races regularly. I just think both of these drivers are going to be chomping at the bit to be the guy to win races. And they'll be hoping, you know, again, with that optimism surrounding Ferrari, they're going to want to make an impact as soon as possible to be the guy to potentially win a championship. So I think if Ferrari deliver the car, I think it could get spicy between uh, these two drivers. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I suppose it could depend on if Ferrari, when they give, they agree that new contract was signed that people have been talking about, that could change his mindset. But absolutely right. I think there's absolute reason to suggest that right now, signs will need to make sure that last season uh, wasn't just a one-off for them. So certainly be up for that one. And Leclerc will obviously want to uh, put things right in his own mind. Um, let's move on to something um, a little bit less uh, positive, I suppose. The flop of the year. Now, we're going to do a separate one for the driver and the team. But at the risk of uh, upsetting some fans, we're just going to have to get into it. Flop of the year, the driver, Lee, who do you think that's going to be this year? I did flip and flop between two drivers, but I had decided on Nikita Mazepin. Okay. I mean... I mean, this is, it takes some doing for him to be considered a flop um, yeah. <laughs> it, relative to where we feel that he will be this year. But um, why do you think it'll be Mazepin? I mean, if you um, make a list of pay drivers in the sport, um, he's obviously one of those. But if one of the worst pay drivers in the sport, he's going to be up there at that top of that list. Um, I don't rate his talent at all um, obviously he drives better than I do so I'm not I'm not saying I can do a better job 
Um, but I just don't think he has the caliber to be in Formula One. Um, I wasn't very impressed last year, and I personally don't think I'll be impressed this year. But I'll obviously I'll wait and see if we have champion Mazepin. I'll, I'll go and eat something I don't like to eat. I'm not going to say an inanimate object because <laughs> I don't want to eat. <laughs> but uh, just in case. Um, but yeah, I'll stick with Nikita. Well, not necessarily an inanimate object. How about we pick something that you just don't like to eat? And maybe you can eat that on the pod at the end of the season if uh, Mazepin turns out to be a revelation. Um, for a bit of anything you can think of, Lee, what don't you like to eat? Ah, that's a tough choice. I like to eat a lot of things. <laughs> maybe also, so, nothing. Maybe something. Maybe maybe something expensive. I know Lee has a keen eye for value. Maybe maybe for something expensive. That's a complete waste of money. Uh, tough choice, tough choice. Uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, I would go into. I would mention going to a specific restaurant from a famous uh, social media star, but I don't want to reference who because I don't want to get sued. Um, no, I just had some marmite or something. Yeah, there you go. Keep, keep it, uh, keep it classic. Go yeah, there you go. Marmite on toast. You either love it or you hate it. So uh, anyway, look, uh, that's fair enough. Um, you know, and, and obviously solid reasons. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of pressure will be on Mazepin because if Haas have a good season, obviously their hopes will be pinning on it. I mean, in, in regards to both him and Mick Schumacher, the Haas's hopes will rely a lot on them because they've put a lot of commitment into this car, at least what they could, sacrifice a whole year for it. They would like to think that their drivers, with the benefit of a year's experience in F1, they should be able to do a much better job and they'll be counting on them to rise them up the order. Their future in the sport could very much depend on it. Um, Courtney... Who is your flop of yeah. the year? Max Verstappen. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, yeah. oh, I was, that would have been, I literally would have hovered over and just clipped that and just thought, right, why? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I've woken up and I've chosen war. But anyway, no, I'm going to go with Guan Yu Zhou. Okay. Go with Guan Yu Zhou. Yeah, I, I think, the, the reason being, I know there isn't like a lot of, like expectation from casual F1 fans, but I think there's going to be a lot of hype, particularly from China. And I just, I just think the combination of you know the way he got into F1 and the package I expect Alfa Romeo to develop, I think it could be a little bit of a full storm for um, for that particular audience. So I'm going to go with my new show. Yeah, I suppose he's under a different kind of pressure because whilst he's, what, 24, 25 now, um, he's one of the older rookies to have joined in the sport. He's well experienced in the junior categories. He was in Formula 2 for four seasons and a runner-up last season, of course, to Oscar Piastri. Um, the pressure for him will be to drive well enough and perform well enough to justify having a seat at potentially Alfa Romeo, or if not there, somewhere else without causing too many... Uh, uh, too much friction in the, amongst the F1 fans to get this sort of Chinese project off the ground because it hasn't really taken off whilst China has been part of the F1 calendar as much as F1 would like. So as from a capital perspective, he's certainly going to be facing that kind of pressure from probably more from F1 as an entity rather than Alfa Romeo. So uh, yeah, there's definitely potential there, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, I'm going to be a bit more daring than you two, because you guys have gone for two drivers who I don't expect to be setting any headlines for the right reasons, at least. But I'm going to go for Daniel Ricciardo to be the flop Ooh. of the year. It's contradicting my improved driver. Yeah, oh. yeah there well, we go. Oh, I've got to get the popcorn. Wait a minute, I've got a bag of sorted downstairs. <laughs> no, I've I've gone the other way on this one. Um, 
Look, it was a really, really hard one to think of one person who I think was going to flop. And I didn't want to pick someone at the back because I thought, does that really count as a flop if they're meant to be at the back anyway? For You know, um, no, I I really want to be wrong on this one. I really, really do. I mean, this is a guy that I thought should have been in the Ferrari with Leclerc last season. Um, although I did say that two years ago. So the benefit of hindsight is sort of not really on my side there. Um but despite getting a win last season, I think we can all agree that last year was a difficult one for Daniel Ricciardo. And as you said, Lee, perhaps that was one of the biggest reasons. I think what concerns me with Daniel is there will be a lot of pressure on him this season. This is kind of a unique situation he finds himself in. This one is completely different to the Red Bull one because he's not exactly being frozen out of the team in favour of a young up-and-coming driver that's going to take the team going forward. Although that trend is there right now with Norris signing this long-term deal. So you could argue that case. My rationale for this is that I remember Daniel not long ago, by his own admission, saying that on the technical side, he hasn't really put in the work that he perhaps should have done compared to some other drivers to understand these new cars as well as he could have done. He likes to drive with feel by the seat of his pants. Those are sort of attributes that he's very well known for and and admired for to some degree. You know, we can't ignore some of the great overtakes that he's put in. His drive last season at Monza was superb the whole weekend, thoroughly deserved regardless of what happened behind him with Max and Lewis, for example. Um, I just feel this year is going to be a big, big year for him. He has to step up. He has to, at very, very minimum, be up there with his teammate on a regular basis. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I just think if you struggle to get on board with the technical aspect it's not going to get any easier for him. It's going to get harder in modern Formula One. It's not like how it used to be 10, 15 years ago when all you had to worry about was how much to adjust the level of traction control that you use or don't use. Um, And that's a reference to the old Bring Back the V10 episodes on the race. Really good stuff there. But I I just think, um, yeah, for me, I I just think Daniel's going to have a hard year uh, this year and it, it could be a big problem for him going forward with McLaren. Could I add on to what you said there, Adam? I obviously hope you're wrong. But I think what we're seeing now is this with this young generation of drivers, they've actually grown up with computer games. Now, I know our generation did to an extent, but if you think about the way technology has come along in the last decade or so, they have they've grown up with this idea of, you know, doing the settings on the car, setup. And I know the, the physical thing is different to the simulation. Of course, I get that. But you see it with like Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, Leclerc, George Russell. Our, you know, during lockdown, they were constantly doing sim racing. That's what they've really, and I just, that's what they, that's their thing. That's what they do in their spare time. Obviously, not the only thing they do, but compared to the older drivers, they're definitely more into the technical development side. And I think that's why they, so far, we are seeing that they do have that start edge. Obviously, youth does come into it, but it just seems that the extra homework that they put in compared to the older drivers in general has been paying dividends to them recently. And that's a really good point. I must say that is a really, really good point because there is a trend where a lot of these young drivers coming through now, the modern generation, as you said, that, you know, the Norris's, Leclerc, Russell, Verstappen, the world champion, all compete um, or in their own time drive on these sim rigs, these really expensive ones that you can buy, like if you've got 40 grand lying around, for example, Um you know, they've got those and they're driving on those. They're practicing certain things. I imagine the F1 teams all send them stuff that they can work on, on these games that are quite, you know, on these sim rigs at home where they can practice, practice, practice and try new things and understand technical setups a bit better. And with all due respect to Daniel, I don't know if he partakes in that sort of thing, but 
as you can see, some of these drivers that don't do it, you do tend to see which ones do and which ones don't. I mean, for example, of how significant the esports scene can be, if you like, to a degree. I think it was um, at the Race of Champions recently. Uh, was it Lucas Bleakley beat Sebastian Vettel in a rally race on ice? You know, and, and we're talking about a guy who was competing in F1 esports beat a four-time world champion in real mm. F1. So you can't you can't tell me that the esports stuff isn't important, uh-huh. even if it's just to keep drivers on their toes. It's kind of, I suppose, the modern day replacement for driving lap and lap and lap around a go kart track, like Fernando Alonso does. Um, still good stuff, but you have to stay on top of your game. So you know, absolutely right. Um, let's move on now to the flop of the year, the team edition. Which team do you guys think is going to be the flop of the year, Courtney? I'm going to let you go first. Uh, a team that I regularly criticise on the podcast. Sorry, guys, but Alfa Romeo. Okay. And uh, yeah. why do you think they'll be the flop of the year this year? I just think the trajectory this team's been going in. You know, I think actually, since they lost Leclerc now, I know losing somebody like Leclerc is difficult. They're, they're difficult shoes to fill. But I don't know. I've just been, just been keeping on where this team is going. And they just I haven't really been offering any kind of positive outlook you have a look at the likes of you know in recent seasons um alpha tauri even williams to an extent alpine aston martin mclaren all these teams have had this you know optimistic mindset big changes in the team to transform the team and take them forward and i haven't been seeing this with alfa romeo and i just and i just feel they're gonna be you'll be seeing the predictions uh, the actual top 10 predictions soon that they're there or thereabouts at the bottom because I just think there's a lot, there are much more exciting, bigger projects happening at other teams. Yeah, very much so. And um, it, it does seem to, you know, to some people, I know, Courtney, you keep bringing this up a lot, but Alfa Romeo, they always talk about, you know, the Sauber project in general, even as a stable mid-table team, if you like, or middle of the order team, they always seem to look quick at certain parts of the weekend. And then that tends to go away. And, and more often than not, it's because they're disguising their own performance. You know, they're trying to fool people into thinking they're faster than what they are. I don't know why or to what ends. It just, you know, you will get found out. But it always seems of all the teams going on um, throughout the paddock, they're the ones that seem to have the the least, um, not necessarily least interest, but they're the ones that seem to have the, the least bit going about them. I can't put it in the right context, but I think you know what I mean. It's kind of like there's not much of a fanfare going on around there. And it's almost like they're just happy to make up the numbers. I'm probably wrong, but, you know, everybody's coming in with the attitudes where they want to be the best they can be. They just seem to come at it with the less for whatever reason. It just doesn't seem to be working. So, uh, yeah, I I get that. Um, Lee, how about you? Which team do you think is going to be the flop of the year? I'm going to stick with an Italian team and say AlphaTauri. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, so there's two things for that. Of firstly is the the engine component. Obviously, the the if you believe the the rumors that are swirling around is Red Bull are struggling with the the biofuels in their now Red Bull engine and recovering lost horsepower compared to Ferrari. Who are saying they made it back? Mercedes who are saying they made it back. Even Alpine are saying they made it back. But Red Bull aren't going. Oh, we've made it back. Um, so if there's a potential loss of twenty horsepower compared to the other manufacturers who have made up the horsepower loss, that's already a um, 
handicap to the Red Bull powered cars, which is obviously Red Bull and AlphaTauri. But unlike Red Bull, who will probably have very good aerodynamics, AlphaTauri, if they have a rubbish engine, they're not going to be able to have a brilliant aerodynamic setup on their car to counteract the loss of horsepower. Um, so as much as I rate Pierre Gasly, I unfortunately think that AlphaTauri are going to be the flop team of the year. Yeah, it's an interesting one with Alfatari because last season, a, a lot of places, they probably had the third fastest car, or at least it was certainly up there with McLaren and Ferrari. Um, it's a hard one. You know, I know you said you were hearing reports, and I've heard similar reports as well about Honda, uh, not so much Honda, but, you know, the Red Bull powertrains, if you like, that are going to be taken over from Honda in a, soon. Um, they've been talking about issues of trying to re claim that power lost from the new E10 fuels. Um, I was hearing reports recently saying that they're actually okay with everything. So we'll just have to wait and see really how yeah. that's going to work. It could be other hit or miss for AlphaTauri for that reason. Um, I'm going to go with Alpine as my flop of the year. Okay. I don't think this would be a surprise to some people that have listened to this podcast quite, quite regularly. Um, I don't think El Plan is necessarily going to happen for Fernando Alonso this season. Um, maybe he can see something I, I don't. I hope for their sake that they do. But as I said, there's so much management structure changes, as I mentioned already, you know, the four different changes we've had. We still haven't had Otmar Zafna confirmed at Alpine yet, as far as I'm aware. Oh, yeah. Um, I know we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and he still yeah. ha- we thought, oh, yeah, it's a done deal. It's going to happen after um, Mike Crack joined Aston Martin in replace of him. But... We haven't heard anything yet from them. And there's four different team bosses that they've had. They obviously had David Brivio's gone. Cyril Abitabal has now gone completely from the program. I think he's now might be working with Red Bull in some capacity. I don't know if that's true. I had seen him floating around. So uh, might be involved in Red Bull powertrains. We'll have to wait and see on that one. That would be quite a coup, considering how things were between them three or four years ago um, before Honda came along. And uh, yeah, obviously you've had um, Mike Bukowski as well. So... For me, I just feel like all of these issues and Alan Prost leaving and the they're still tied down by the old ways of working at Endstone in terms of this these cars. So this 2022 car is not exactly a new thing for them in the same way that it is for the other teams. So I just feel like, and, and the news as well, sorry, I should say that they're apparently they're behind on reliability with their engine stuff and they're concerned. Ooh. And I think, I think we can all agree that the Renault power unit's likely going to be the, the least powerful one out of the four engines this season, Mercedes, Honda, and Ferrari, or Red Bull powertrains, whatever you want to call it. It's a Honda engine, practically. Um, But um, yeah, I I think they're going to struggle this season. Um, And we'll have to wait and see how the car is. I mean, let's not forget how how much, how wide the cooling, the airbox was on that Alpine. You know, and if we're talking about teams all trying to produce a tight package for their engine covers, Alpine, if they're not on top of that, with this new engine innovation that they want to bring, um, because they've, building a brand new engine in some respects as well, they may struggle. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Alpine as my flop of the year. Sorry, Alpine. I, I just I just think the other teams are going to do a better, a better job than them, I should say. And, uh, okay, let's move on to a more positive one. Um, mm-hmm. The more, A bit more illustrious, this award, actually. This should be quite interesting. Uh, the driver of the year. Who do we think is going to be our driver of the year? Now, I'm, go- I'm going to start on this one, if I may. I'm going to go Pierre Gasly. (laughs) Yeah, it's our show. I've got to go first at some point. Yeah, I'm going to go with Pierre Gasly as my driver of the year. I I think last year he was very, very good. I think he was one of the best drivers last season. The season before that, I think he was superb, um, getting that win at Monza, no less. 
Um, I think AlphaTauri are going to have a solid season. Compare, um, they're probably going to be the same as they were to a degree last season, a bit middle of the road, probably not knocking on the doors of the likes of Ferrari and McLaren as much as they were last season. But I think Pierre Gasly, once again, is going to outperform the machinery. He's going to shine. He's going to be showing everyone who's watching him, of course, that he is a top, top driver to be looking at. And I think he's going to put himself in the frame for a potential big seat, maybe at Red Bull, maybe somewhere else. And, um, perhaps buoyed by the fact that Lando Norris, perhaps one of the rivals that he may have had for a big seat somewhere, has now signed a new long-term deal at McLaren. It might make his life a little bit easier. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Pierre Gasly to be my driver of the year. What about you, Lee? Who are you going with? On my driver of the year, I'm going to go with for George Russell. Okay. Similar to the reason why I thought he would be the most improved driver? Yeah, pretty much. Um, not just, obviously, because of the car aspect, but, yeah, he... He will. He's going to. I reckon he's put some stellar performances in throughout this season that he, we won't have been able to witness at, in the Williams, and they're going to be wow that wow that George can do that wow George can do that wow, and you remember wow points over a season, and I think George will collect the most wow points if <laughs> if he had a wow point calculator. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that's George for me. No, very very fair. Courtney, how about you? Who's your driver of the year for 2022? Who's it going to be? Fanboy Claxon, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Okay, well, that is a, a, I mean, very much realistic. I mean, because we all, I mean, I said Max Verstappen was driver of the year last year. So obviously we can't caveat it based on where we expect them to be. But why do you think Sir Lewis is going to be the driver of the year? I mean, I'm guessing that's got to be a world championship prediction as well, surely? Yep. I've, I think we've seen throughout Lewis's career, whenever he's had a big low, you see a, a massive upturn in form. I think we've even seen it during lows within the season, let alone when he's come from a disappointing season. Um, I think, and also given the circumstances, I mean, if he if he can come back from this, he's going to come back better than ever. I just, I just, I really do believe that he's going to have the season like no other. And then he'll leave the sport on a high. So that's my prediction. Oh, very, very fair. No, good shout. I'm sure a lot of people probably enjoy that one. Um, and some equally probably not for different reasons. But anyway, we we digress. Okay, so all that leaves us to do now is to go through our championship predictions for both the constructors and the drivers. So I'm going to go through the constructors ones first. Now, what I want to do, guys, I just want us to name our list. Well, one by one, we'll go like our top tens. Um, and then... We might pick one or two out that might surprise, and we'll talk about that briefly. So let's start with the constructors. I'm going to go mm-hmm. first, if I may. Go for this one, just to sort of give you an idea of what I'm going for here. Um, in tenth, I'm going to go for Alpha and Mayo. Huss in Whoa. ninth. Yeah, I'm with you, Corny. I think Alpha are going to be. I think they're going to be poor this season. Um, Huss are going to be ninth. Williams in eighth. Alpine seventh. Aston Martin sixth. AlphaTauri fifth. McLaren fourth, Red Bull third, Ferrari second, and Mercedes are going to be Constructors' Champions for a record ninth season in a row. It's getting crazy now. And they're going to be champions. Um, any that you want to ask me about from that list? And Yeah, the Alfa Romeo at the very bottom. I mean, I, I know I don't expect a lot from them, but if they finish below the Haas, then they might as well leave the sport. 
Well, I mean, they've got, they've got the same power bags. unit, so I think Haas are going to put a they, lot more into their car than Alpha. And I think, and and let's not forget the working relationship that they will have with Ferrari, albeit. There's going to be a there's literally probably a massive fence at Maranello between the uh, Haas base and the Ferrari base at Maranello, and of course a lot of Ferrari personnel have seconded over to Haas to comply with the budget cap stuff as well. Like Simon Resta, for example, um, is leading the technical work over there. So I think Haas are going to be stronger, um, but Alfa Romeo, I just don't, can't really justify how they're going to finish above last. Really, unfortunately, any more. Yeah that you wanted to ask me about on that list? I think I think the Alpine one, I have a slight question mark over, but you gave a good reason earlier on in the episode. So, <laughs> fair play, mate. Fair, play. fair enough. Well, in that, in that case then, I'll move on to you, Courtney, since we're fresh on that mm-hmm. one. Who is... What's your list look like for the Constructors' Championship? 10th, yep. Haas. 9th, Alfa Romeo. 8th, Williams. 7th, Alfa Tauri. Sixth, Aston Martin. Fifth, Alpine. Fourth, McLaren. Third, Red Bull. Second, Ferrari. First, Mercedes. Very interesting. So only just a few subtle differences there. Mm. Um, I'm guess. I mean, I didn't really give a reason for it, but Aston Martin in sixth, that's one we both had. I'm quite intrigued yeah. to get your reasons for that one because this is a team that, in theory... Yes, they should be looking to improve, but I'm guessing, like me, you might be thinking that 2022 is not the year for that. Perhaps 2023 no. might be a better year for them. But there's other teams that are in a much better position right now. I'm not I'm not completely ruling them out in the coming years. I think right now, I think there's other projects right now that are sort of much further ahead in their development. I still feel that the Aston Martin project is, is in its infancy. And the only reason why I put Aston Martin that high up is that they've got a driver like Sebastian Vettel that will get the big results for them when they need it. No, very, very fair. Very, you know, quite interesting. Our lists are quite similar, actually. I'm actually quite proud of that. We um, don't actually talk about this, though, do we? We actually just no, we no. kept our notes separate. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, should, I should stress, you know, we actually don't share our lists at all. So if there's any sort of symmetry, that's just coincidence or great minds think alike, if you like. Uh, anyway, Lee, um, there's probably not going to be a chance of a triple threat here because you tend to go a bit differently than we do. So uh, what's your top 10 looking like? So in 10th is Alfa Romeo. Mm. Um, 9th is Alfa Tauri. Ooh. 8th is Haas. <laughs> wow. God, no, sorry. Carry on, carry on. 7th um, is Williams. 6th is Alpine. 5th is Aston Martin. 4th is McLaren. 3rd is Red Bull. 2nd is Ferrari. 1st is Mercedes. Top, our top four, basically. Our top four matchup. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that deserves a bit, well, I mean, a, a bit of an award. People in the background, if you want to clap for us on that one, then well done. That, I'm really impressed. But I, I can't really uh, overlook it. I can't really look into anything else other than the obvious one. And Alpha Tauri in ninth. Wow. Oh, I mean, that's going to be a flop. That's naughty, Lee. That's naughty. Alpha Tauri. That, I'll tell you what, that Ferrari engine is going to pack a punch then if that's going to happen. Wow. All right. For the reasons why you said about that Haas is going to be better now for Romero is the reason why I believe Haas will be off the bottom rung. Um, and for the reasons you both said about Alpha Romero is why I believe they're going to be on the bottom rung. Um, and I've already said why I think Alpha Tauri are going to flop this year. Um yeah, and I think Alex Albon is going to perform really well. Williams with the extra budget that the obviously the new ownership has brought in, um, which has left them up the grid even further. 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they were talking about issues with uh, getting the car together. I mean, quite famously, they were the team. Was it two or three days they missed of testing once a few years ago because of issues? Hopefully that doesn't happen, although we won't know because the first test is going to be completely private, apparently. But, uh, yeah. Why, though? Um, I'm, I'm guessing because of the new cars, Courtney, you know, then they may have issues with them reliability wise or stuff like that. And I don't think F1 want people to see that. I think what they want as well, and I think they will also want to encourage the teams in this first test to just make sure their cars work okay. And then the mm. second test in Bahrain, it'll be more about performance and who's got what. And I think that'll be where the interest will be for fans. So I think that's, I, I don't agree with that. I kind of want to see it, but you know, this, this oh, is F1 some, for some, Someone get a drone over that circuit. I'm All sure somebody will. <laughs> it will it will literally have um chase Ke- or stefano domenicali or chase kerry just sitting there with a <laughs> rifle shooting down any drones that they can find just from a mile away i mean i, I mean I, i'm not going to put words in their mouth or make suggestions but i think chase you know i think he'd probably be interested just on the top of the paddock uh, on the roof there just you know something out of full metal jacket maybe i don't know or rambo maybe who knows um Anyway, anyway, um, let's move on to the driver's title prediction. So this one is probably going to be a bit more spicy. Um, Courtney, since I kind of already spoiled who I think your world mm-hmm. champ is going to be, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton. He's going to be my. Uh, he's going to be my champion. Michelle, do you want me to do a top ten? I think yeah, ten to one. Yeah, um, if that's all right. So yeah, Lewis is certainly going to be my champion. But I've gone tenth, Gasly. Ninth, Ricciardo. Eighth Alonso, seventh Norris, sixth Perez, fifth Sainz, fourth Verstappen, third Leclerc, second Russell, and then obviously Lewis in first. Oh, so you are expecting Mercedes to be very, very strong this season. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's the only one I can pick from that. Really, um, there's a solid list at the very front. You're obviously very confident that George Russell so and Lewis Hamilton will be fighting for this world championship. Do you think it will be close between them, or do you think Lewis will have this one in the bag? I think it'll be fairly close. I don't think it'll be. It, it won't be Lewis Rosberg close, but I don't think it'll be Hamilton Bottas in distance. I think it's gonna be. Close to Rosberg, but not enough for it to cause issues, if that makes sense. Oh, fair, fair enough. Um, Lee, how about you? What's your list looking like? So 10th is Fernando Alonso. 9th is Sebastian Vettel. 8th is Sergio Perez. 7th is Daniel Ricciardo. 6th is Charles Leclerc. 5th is Lando Norris. 4th is Max Verstappen. 3rd is Carlos Sainz. 2nd is George Russell. 1st is the Samuelson. What should I say? Sir Lewis Hamilton. Wow. So Carlos Sainz, you you think he's going to be um, yeah. strong, uh, very strong against Charles Leclerc? Yep. Wow. Sorry to say, Adam. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's fine. I mean, I'm a Ferrari fan. I, I rep both both drivers. I, I you know I want them both to do really really well. Um, I, I'm just yeah. Wow. That's uh, Sainz is going to have a great season then in your books. I can't wait to see that yeah. one if that comes true. <laughs> Same. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> just to check, Courtney, did you pick um, Fernando Alonso to come tenth? I'm trying to remember. No, eight. Ah, so close. I was going to say, because I thought we all got that one right. But um, so on my list, I've got Alonso 10th. Um, Even though Alpine are going to have a difficult season, I think Alonso will be easily the shining spark in all that. Um, Ricardo 9th. Gasly 8th. Perez 7th. Norris 6th. Russell 5th. Sainz 4th. Leclerc 3rd. Hamilton 2nd. And Verstappen, I think, is going to be 
is going to retain his title. Now, I know in your reaction, Courtney, you're looking at me like George Russell fifth. I think the performance between the Red Bull Mercedes and the two Ferrari and the Ferrari is going to be quite close. Um, I don't think. Okay. I feel like Red Bull and Mercedes are going to be challenging each other to a degree, but I think Ferrari, I, I don't know, I just feel for George Russell it might be a big ask. We saw him brilliantly perform in Sakir uh, in that one race he did for Mercedes, but I don't know, I, I just feel like he'll be good, but I think there might be days where Russell might be a little bit behind, still acclimatising to the car, um, and I think Sainz and Leclerc, obviously with a better package, will be right up there. I think it's going to be quite close, but yeah. It's an interesting list. Probably not a lot of people mm. going to agree with me. I'll be surprised if that one <laughs> comes through, actually. But no, uh, you know, the headline, I think Max Verstappen will retain his title. Um, hopefully it doesn't end the same way as last season's one did. And um, But uh, I, I think now that Max has won that world championship, um, I think a pressure will be lifted on his shoulders. And we may see him drive. I mean, his consistency was ridiculous last season. It really, really was. Um, and I think he's going to be equally as impressive, just hopefully um, not as aggressive or as controversial perhaps at moments as he was when he was up against Lewis, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, so that was our top 10 guys on the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships. Um, let us know what you think in terms of our list and also what yours would be for both. Um, but before we finish off, we're going to do some other predictions that we think are going to happen this season basically things that we believe will happen or statements and uh, we'll then have a little discussion about that before we wrap it up so lee i know you had a really good one that you shared with me earlier so what was your bold prediction for this season well i've got two predictions actually Adam, but uh first one is max verstappen to get one race ban um be that is because of the amount of points that he currently has on his penalty license. Um, so he currently has eight points out of 12 to be suspended, um, seven points out of 12 to be uh, banned. And he has to go 16 races before his first points fall off. 16 races. If Max Verstappen is in a championship fight and not getting five more penalty points in 16 races, considering he picked up seven in the remaining um, four or five races of the season. Uh, yeah, sorry, Max, you're going to get a race ban. Um, I don't see how he can avoid getting a race ban, to be honest, if he's involved in championship fight. I think that's a very calculated prediction. Um, oh, of course it is. I don't even know if it counts as a prediction. It's, it's like a calculated guess. Um, to be fair... It's still I, a prediction. I, no, it's a prediction, <laughs> of course. But I, I just think it's one of those that has a lot of merit and logic to this. And I, I, I don't think I would disagree with you in that regard. I think that's a really good one. Um, could very much happen if he, if it was anything like how he was at the end last season. Um, and that could prove vital this season. If he misses a race for a race ban and... and Whichever championship rival he has, whether it be Lewis or George or one of the Ferraris, maybe or a McLaren, um, it, it could prove critical if they take advantage of that. Um, what was your other one? Uh, so the other one is Maspin Senior will buy into the Haas team. Okay, I think that's a pretty good one. You're pretty, I was going to say they're probably predictions. They're probably it's more like um, well, epic f- foresight, I suppose, more than anything <laughs> else. Lee, I think those are quite solid. Actually, I, I've got nothing on the latter. Because I think that could very much happen. Um, it all, I suppose it depends on how Mazepin Jr. performs um, in the season. You know, if he's doing well enough to stay in the team or Huss of financial troubles aren't exactly uh, at critical point, 
he may not necessarily feel he needs to invest in there just to preserve his son's career. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but you have to remember he tried to buy the Aston Martin team before. Well, what was then Racing Point? But Lance Stroll beat him. Oh God, long. Yeah. Lawrence Lance. I've got confused. Well, I mean, um, I, I don't Lawrence know. Stroll. I don't know much about the, the finances of um, Nikita Mazepin's father, with all due respect. I'm sure it's quite a lot there. But Lawrence Stroll was a freaking don. You're not going to outbid Lawrence. Like the, the guy's got that sort of mafia businessman aura about him. Um, and I mean this in the most respectful way possible. Like he's the sort of man that gets things done. Um, and that's kind of what he's been about in F1 since he's come in. So it's, it's a different ball game altogether with him. Um, so I, I've got a few that I've written down. And uh, I want to know your thoughts on these ones. So the first one, I'm going to start with an in, quite a good one. Um, I think Norris, Sainz and George Russell will all win their first F1 race this season. Oh, I like that. That's yeah, I like that. Is. Yeah. Mm, I, yeah. Thought, I thought you might like that one. I, I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I really hope one of Norris or Russell wins at Silverstone. Um, and, and, you know, that would be a good one. And maybe Sainz wins at Monza. You know, it might be a good track if that Ferrari is any good. Wins a, um, circuit de Catalunya. Uh, very true, very true. Be interesting to see how that goes down because if it's Fernando that wins there, it'll go into Bedlam. But well, science is popular, of course. You know, they want a Spanish driver to do well, but obviously it's a different kind of atmosphere. It will help his Alonso. popularity if he wins in Spain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, we'll have to see. But yeah, I thought that might be a nice one to start with. Um, another one um, related to a driver we haven't really spoken about much, um, Mick Schumacher. I think he will score points in 2022. I think, um, you know, it was a quiet year last season, um, expectedly, um, but there were a few good races, a few good performances, but I think with a better car, I think he'll score some points next season. Yeah. Yeah. He has capability. Okay. So I've got another one here. Um, I think the title will go down to the final race again, but this time it's going to be Verstappen, Hamilton, and I think Charles Leclerc will be an outsider in this battle. A bit like how, um, if you like, Alonso and and um, Vettel were. And then you had, of course, Lewis Hamilton as the outside, I think back in 2012 or something like that. Um, or it might be in a different year. But um, yeah, I think it'd be a bit like that uh, between the three of them. Hopefully, we were right on that one and uh, well, best man wins on that occasion. Um, let's uh, try and think of a more interesting one that I've got. Um, I think Pierre Gasly after an impressive season that will see him as driver of the year in my books, we'll see him return to Red Bull in 2023. Okay. I thought you might like that one. Um, yeah. I think Perez will do okay, but I don't think it's going to be anything special. And I think Red Bull will start to have doubts. And I think Gasly might put them in a position where they, they just can't afford to not promote him because they'll risk mm. losing him to someone else. And, uh, as I said, with the options at Mercedes potentially and uh, some other teams as well, it might be an option they may have to take on before they lose him. Um, Lee, any thoughts on that one? I, I mean, I have my same doubts about Sergio Perez's performances. You just mentioned that I don't, although I like Sergio, I very much enjoy watching him drive. I don't think he's going to make the step up that he will need to do to retain his drive. And I think I've said in the previous video, he's, he's, drive very much depends on how Gasly does and how Alex Albon does um, and if obviously if, if you're right and I'm wrong and Alpha has a stinker of a car um, or doesn't have a stinker of a car then yes I completely agree but if I'm right <laughs> which I could probably be wrong um, 
it was it will be a tough call if Alpha Terry at the back to justify um, a performance like that to get promotion. But Gazi deserves to be in a top team. We all we all agree on that. So I, I really do hope that's true. Same as it is to say to Sergio. Yeah, I still feel that if the option is there, he's at the front of the queue if he demonstrates his ability. Yeah. Even though I did say on last week's episode, I thought Albon is the desired option. Yeah. Um, I just think it's going to be very, very hard for Albon oh. to justify. Well, just a, a thought on that, Adam. As Sergio is now part of the Rebel family, and Red Bull have no problem demoting drivers. They demote Sergio Perez down to Avatari. Well, yeah, Swap. quite possibly. Don't rule it out. You know, wouldn't yeah. rule it out. Um, I mean, I don't know if Perez would be happy about that, but for, <laughs> I think ultimately what it comes down to with Perez is to demonstrate something that we haven't really seen from him yet. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard sell. You know, of all due respect to him, a very, very good driver, very solid. But there were times when we saw the best of Sergio and there were other times where it was a bit more meh than anything else. And um, I'm not sure if he's got that something extra that Red Bull really need that perhaps someone like Gasly will and as I said with Albon I just think you know he is a very solid driver but I just don't think he's gonna be able to show that in the Williams that he's ready to go back to Red Bull um he might need a bit more time I mean even if he does you'd sort of think well why not Gasly you know he's had more time he's shown clearly why not put him in there but we'll see um my final one before we get into Courtney's a couple of questions that he's prepared for us to round this off I think, sadly, that this will be Sebastian Vettel's final season in Formula One. And in addition yep. to that, I think he'll be replaced by Fernando Alonso at Aston Martin for 2023. And this kind of draws on what I was saying last week, you know, about Vettel's sort of looking at other options, potentially like Race of Champions. They were talking about rallying. And if he said there's an option there for me, I think someone might try and get him in somewhere just to give him something like that to do. Um, he seems to enjoy him, himself uh, having a taste of rally racing. And um, I, I just think for Fernando, his desire to get something in Formula One, I don't think that's going to be fulfilled at Alpine. And I just feel like Lawrence Stroll, if an option is available like Fernando Alonso, I just feel he's going to do everything possible to get that star power in his team, even if it's just for the year. So I think... El Plan Verde. Yeah, if you like. Yeah, yeah. El Plan Verde. Yeah, muy bueno. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's... What do you guys think? Courtney, what do you think? Don't rule it out with Fernando. I think he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's famous for making a an unexpected move or two. So if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Fernando Alonso. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, to be honest. I'm just picturing the scene, something like at the sound of music and you've got all the music in the background. You've got Alonso running through the fields, Lawrence Stroll running the other way to sort of embrace each other. I feel like that would be a, a vivid image of how this relationship with Aston Martin would build between the two at a starting point, because both of them are desperately going to want to get the other one into, into that car. If, Alpine turns out to flop, as I think it will do, and Vettel decides to call it a day. And, and Alonso is the prime. I mean, there are other targets, but realistically speaking, Alonso could turn out to be the number one candidate for Aston Martin mm. going forward if Vettel decides to retire. Um, but let's wait and see. I mean, I, I want Vettel to stay in F1 a bit longer, but sometimes you just can't help these things. It happens to all of us eventually. Um, so, Courtney, you prepared a couple yep. of questions for us based on some predictions you feel may happen. So, uh, let us, well, yeah, let's have a go at it. What are they? Well, two topics that neither of you would be surprised to hear. Um, first of all, who will Ferrari choose to lead the team if they develop a championship contending car? Ooh, um, I, I'm going to be bold straight away and just go Leclerc. Um, they've put a lot of 
commitment in Leclerc going forward. Um, I think Ferrari, admittedly, and perhaps this is from my fans' perspective, would know that, you know, even though Sainz did beat Leclerc last season, I think people will agree that Leclerc's peaks were significantly higher at times. Um, Despite the lack of consistency, it must be said that Sainz massively championed with. Um, And I think that's where Ferrari's heads will go at. They'll probably feel who has the best chance in their heads, and I think they'll feel Leclerc. Although if Sainz is trying to waver for a better deal... Um, he may use that as a bargaining chip, but then knowing Ferrari, it may go against him in that regard as it's done for other drivers and maybe dangle that carrot and say, no, play second fiddle and you'll stay at the team if there's no better option. Um, so we'll see. But I think Leclerc. What about you? Yeah, Lee? Lee. Yeah, Lee, I, what, do you, I, what do you reckon, mate? I think Ferrari make a very un-Ferrari decision and not pick a number one in the sense that they'll rather push the the boat down the river and see who has the highest amount of points before okay. putting the horse, um, horse on the driver or the driver and horse. It doesn't really work. But um, picking their main man, um, obviously, they, I think, like Adam said, they still prefer to pick Charles Leclerc. But if Carlos is going to have a good season, as I think he may do, and potentially be ahead in the points, why would you pick your potentially a lower score driver to be the number one? And um, if that situation occurs, so I think they very much wait and see what happens before forcing that decision, which is very unFerrari like because they're normally very early like put the paper on the wall. This is number one, which I just don't see happening this year. Yeah, it's interesting uh, yeah. because um, I remember back in two thousand and eight when they were kind of in a similar position. They had Kimi Raikkonen, the world champion, who after the first four races was dominating the season. He started very very strongly. Um, Massa was okay, but nothing special. But then Raikkonen's form dipped. I think it was after France when he had that issue with the exhaust and Massa won that race. And Massa went on an absolute tear. And then Ferrari kind of had to shift their priorities the other way to back Massa in the championship as Raikkonen was declining. So it it could happen. But I think you're rightly, I think Ferrari will take a more... Um, reserved approach and wait and see how the season plays out. Um, but I think in their minds, I think if they want one horse to back, it will most likely be Leclerc. But he has to be in that position, otherwise Ferrari will change tactics and go for signs. Yeah. Uh, one more question, lads. Will we see a more aggressive Lewis Hamilton this season? Um, no. I don't think we will. I think, look, Lewis has won seven world championships and over 100 Grand Prix and Team LH will asterisk eight on the first one if they want. Um, but he's done that primarily by the by driving the way that he's always done, you know, as a controlled aggression. And I think last season we saw at times where that kind of spilt over a little bit, um, like we saw at Silverstone and, and, and his part in Monza and a few other incidents as well, not necessarily blaming him for any of those, but... You could argue it got to a point last season where Lewis had decided, right, I am not yielding for Max anymore because he will beat me every time because he's not going to give up, give any space. That said, I don't think Lewis is going to become more aggressive than perhaps what he showed last season. I think it may be more the first half of the season, Lewis, and, you know, the live to fight another day. Um, but again, it, it could depend on who he's fighting for in the championship and, if Max Verstappen is that guy and Max Verstappen continues to drive the way that he has been over the last few years, especially last season at times, then we'll see. But overall, I, I don't think Lewis will change the way that he drives um, in, to try and win this. I think he will just do what he knows works and, and it has worked really well for him over the years. What do you reckon, Lee? I would have said yes, but no. 
I know it's a very uh, confusing answer. I would have said against the other 18 drivers on the grid, no, he will not change the way he drives. He he trusts the other drivers to behave responsibly on the track and stick within the rules. There is, however, one other driver that he has learned that doesn't, in his opinion, that doesn't follow the rules. And I think in my opinion as well, doesn't always stick to the rules as, as much as he should and being Max Verstappen. And as Adam touched on, he made the decision last year that he's no longer going to let Max go by. And I think when, if they're in the, sharing the same piece of tarmac, maybe not so much at the start of the season, but Lewis will not um, play nice with Max. Uh, he will get his elbows out. He will push him off the track. He will, he will be more aggressive with Max because he knows that's how Max plays. And he does want to be at a handicap against Max like he was at the start of last season. So that's the only driver I think he will be more aggressive against. Oh, no, fair play, mate. Is there not another one? Because you said 18. So I'm wondering well, if Well, I think a... Lewis is 19 and Max is 20. Oh, oh right, Adam. right. No, uh, you've had a mare, mate. You've oh. had a mare. I, I don't think so. You said there were 18 other drivers. No, 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 no. 18 no, drivers. No, Lewis I, I, is 19. Max is 20. Yeah. No, 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 no. I think there's another driver in there that you're not revealing, no. Lee. Who's the other? Is it Mazepin? It's Mazepin, isn't no. it? It's Mazepin, yeah? No. Mazepin for the championship. Mazepin for the championship. Say, yeah, that, that, that would be some bite, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So, Courtney, I, I did have one question, guys. That I yeah, go on. Yeah? I throw at you. Obviously, in the UK, we have no restrictions, but obviously, in various countries around the world, there is certain different restrictions that may or may, well, they will change throughout the year for the worse or the better. We have to wait and see. But what impact will code have on the drivers and the teams this year? In the sense that all drivers now or all team members have to be fully vaccinated. But as we fully know, being fully vaccinated doesn't stop you from catching COVID. Um, so what impact will that potentially have? Um, I don't think the risk is any greater or less gr- great than it was last season. Um, not to talk about that too much, because we're certainly not experts in that field at yeah. all, like everybody else in that regard. Um, you know, trust the scientists, I suppose, is the best way to go at it, and the experts. Um, I don't think we're going to see a Novak Djokovic situation that we saw recently at the Australian Open. And it's quite fitting, you know, given that this will be the first Australian Grand Prix in almost three years. I mean, um, that's why I asked this question. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of where my mind went on this one. Um, no, I don't think, unless we get a situation where there's just too many COVID cases in a particular country at a time when a Grand Prix is coming, um, I don't think we're going to see too many changes to the calendar. I think they've got it right where they want it to be. Yes, there will be some potential backup races that aren't on the calendar already that could potentially will be at a moment's notice. But given how compact the calendar is this season, I wouldn't be surprised if if one race at some point was going to get postponed and we were close to it. They just say, you know what? Let's just not worry about it. You know, we've got a lot on there already. I think if we get to the realms where like there's a few, then it'll be a problem. But um, I expect it to be similar to how it was last season, really. And they handled it relatively well with all this. Re- I mean, Turkey, for example, it was off. It was replacing a race, then it went, and then it came back, and then it went, and it was like, you know, we got to Turkey and we're sort of like, yep, we're here now. But they didn't have a crowd, so yeah, I think it's going to be similar to last season. Uh, for me, yeah, for me personally, I think it's going to be a lot better. I think, particularly if you have a look at some of these countries that have newfound wealth, they'll have the, they'll be able to finance the facilities and the testing needed. 
to let an event go ahead as planned. I think you have a good point, Lee. I think the only, the only Grand Prix I have slight doubts over is the Australian Grand Prix because we've seen in the past that Australia have had quite a unique... Uh, what's the best way of putting this? Australia have had a unique sort of response to the pandemic. So I do believe that if there is one Grand Prix that we could see get cancelled, it could well be um, Australia. But I, I do believe, obviously, Adam, you're absolutely right. Trust the science, nothing else. Yeah. We are in a much better position, generally speaking, as we were last year. I think last year we were sort of treading lightly with optimism. But I think this season, if you think about where we are now compared to 2020, we're in a much better position. And I just feel that Formula One being an elite sport will lead by the example. And I think, yeah, I think barring possibly Australia, I think we're going to be good. Yeah. I mean, F1 has handled it pretty well compared to a lot of other sports. I think F1 has probably led the way. Um, It's not really been too much disruption. Like one driver might have missed a race here or there. Um, But at the very, very least, they've always had options, you know, to sort of work through that. Um, and, And I think that will continue. I mean, look, this time last year, we didn't even have a vaccine available, or at least we did. It wasn't ready for people of our age group yet. You know, first, you know, the first groups of people were having them done. Um, so things do progress quite quickly. Um, so we are better equipped, I suppose, is right, corner. But the Australian Grand Prix is one that went to my mind. And I hope it doesn't get cancelled because it's a new, well, newish layout. They've changed that uh, middle part of the lap, which would be quite interesting. Hopefully produce a bit more overtaking because that's a circuit that certainly for all of its strengths, does need a bit more overtaking on it to make it a bit more of a cult classic, I suppose, other than what it already is. Um, but I thought that was really, really good, guys. You know, thank you very much for the predictions. And uh, as I said, guys, let us know in the comments if you agree with our predictions or if there's any in particular that you're not too keen on. And of course, with respect, let us know what your predictions are for the categories and any bold predictions that we haven't already put in in the comments below. If, of course, you are watching this podcast on YouTube, please kindly give it a like if you've enjoyed it and consider subscribing to the channel if you haven't already. And thank you once again to everyone that's helped us get to 500 subscribers. We really, really cannot thank you enough. And, of course, we're pushing to get more and more and more and grow the DNF1 family as much as possible. If you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform and you think we are worthy of it, please consider giving us a five-star review. And of course, if you don't think that we're worthy of that, please give us what you think we're worthy of and leave us a nice explanation to help us improve the show because that's what we want to do. We want to get better and better for you guys. So thank you very much for that. In the meantime, we will be doing our uh, if you like our launch livery reviews of all of the teams, I'm very much expecting from what we've seen from Red Bull and Haas that we're going to see all the teams pretty much show show cars with updated liveries. So there might not be too much tech talk, but we will try to do what we can. First of which will be for next week, we will do half the grid and we'll do the other half the following week afterwards, with the exception of Alfa Romeo, who of course are not showing their new car until the first test, by which we will not see it then because there won't be any images or any footage at all. So uh, I guess we're going to have to see that car come out in March when they test in Bahrain. Can't wait. Not that Courtney's massively excited about seeing the new Alpha, <laughs> although it was a pretty good-looking car last season. I must admit, yeah. Alfred, you know, if anything, they were certainly one of the best liveries last season uh, more than anything else. But look, guys, until then, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe, and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon.
Social Podcast Network.